I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. I want to begin today by highlighting our partner, Inside Tracker. It's our relationship with Inside Tracker that allows us to keep providing this education to you free. But more than that, we have a really close relationship and partnership due to our collective passion to help folks like you thrive in health, sport, and life. We want you to get the results that you're chasing in sport, but we also want you to build a platform of health so that you can keep doing what you love to do as long as you want to do it. So how does it work? Well, it's very simple. You just go and get a blood draw, and then Inside Tracker will take care of the analysis of all of your biomarkers. But unlike your regular medical scales that are just simply anchored in an absence of disease, Inside Tracker is built around trying to get you to go from good to great. And that's a key difference there. Because along with their panel of experts and peer-reviewed research, they're going to give you recommendations where you can focus on in which you're looking to improve and not just exist. We want you to thrive. And this is why we leverage it as a tool for performance with elite athletes to parents who are looking to optimize function in life. It's all peer-reviewed recommendations, and it gives you some focus around your nutrition, your stress, your training. And it's a tool that's going to help. Now, if you really want to amplify your strategy, you can always also add on a coaching consultation. And you can do that from one of the team at FuelIn if you really want to make serious changes in your nutrition. And that's really valuable. Or if you're worried more about your training side of things. And then you can head out to the Purple Patch website and sign up with one of our coaches. And we'll help you filter the information and the recommendation from Inside Tracker and help you dial in from there. It should be good. All you need to do is head to this link. Yes, that's insidetracker.com slash purplepatch. And you can use this code purplepatchpro20. It's going to get you 20% off everything at the store. Hmm. All right. That sounds like a good one. Let's get on with the show. And welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. As ever, your host, Matt Dixon. And guys, this is our second release of our video-enabled podcast. You can opt to listen via your regular podcast platform. That's absolutely fine. But now you also have the option to watch with all of the additional extras and bells and whistles. Goodness me, it's fun. Either way, whichever medium you're listening through, I want to welcome you. And today it is part two of our discussion with partfish Yan Sibison. Yan is the fastest swimmer ever at the Hawaii Ironman World Championship. Yes, that's why I call him Partfish. He's also the founder and CEO of Sailfish, a triathlon performance apparel company. Now, he built that business from the ground up over the last 15 years. Last week, we dug into Yan's story, as well as some of the lessons of applying a championship mindset to building up a business from the ground up. And it was a fantastic discussion. If you missed it, I recommend that you go back. But today, we're going to dig into the other side of Jan's brain. We're going to go going all winter swimming today. 
And this is important. He has more than 35 years of competitive swimming experience. And so I thought, how can we miss this opportunity? This one is for the open water swimmers and the triathletes amongst you. And I think you're going to enjoy. In today's show, you're going to learn three main things. The first is the key differences between pool swimming and open water swimming, and there is a vast difference. We're also going to break down some of the technical considerations and training considerations when you're seeking to prepare yourself for an open water swim. And we know that Jan is pretty good at that. And finally, I think a really important element that lots of triathletes will benefit from. Some of the recommendations and tips that Jan and I provide on how to overcome anxiety in open water. It can be a pretty daunting experience, and so we want to help you navigate through. And finally, Jan is going to have to answer the question, what happens when you get on the rubber and you're clad in that sailfish wetsuit and you need to go to the bathroom? The answer does not include escape hatches. Jan is a wealth of information and insights, and you're going to benefit from his wisdom. Now, before we pass the baton over to Jan, let's do a couple of little salt sections because it is Matt's Newsings. Yes, folks, Matt's Newsings, my section that couldn't be known for so long. And we've got a couple of quick notes. First, I want to talk about the video podcast, because this is now our second show that we are hosting on video as well as just over audio. And if you want to check it out, just head to the Purple Patch page on YouTube. But also, we would love your help. Now, of course, a positive review in the comments section, that's always nice. Make sure that you subscribe to the show and even share it with your friends. That's just a wonderful first step. But personally, I would love your feedback as well. I would love your insights and thoughts on how we can grow. How can we actually improve this? If you've got ideas on how to ramp it up, amplify the engagement with you guys, the listeners, and some of the value of this video forum is going to be really, really helpful. And so I invite you to provide us with feedback. Hey, how can we improve this thing? It's our first crack at this. You can head to the comments section on the YouTube channel, or of course, if you prefer private or you've got some pretty hefty feedback to give us, feel free to email us direct. You can do that via info at purplepatchfitness.com. Because look, we're listening. We want to engage you guys and we are looking to grow. What do they call it? A growth mindset. That's true. Love your feedback and your constructive ideas, and I hope that you enjoy the show. A lot of time and energy goes into it. And we want to make it the most valuable listening experience for you possible. Okay, good. Number two, very important thing. Last week, I hosted a really valuable free webinar on preparing for your next Ironman or Ironman 70.3. That's the half Ironman distance. And I promised that you could do it in 8 to 14 hours. If you're half Ironman distance, it's more like 8 to 12 hours. If you're straying towards Ironman, typically it's 10 to 14 hours. Now, we had more than a 1,000 registrants for this webinar and a lot of follow-up. It was a lot for our team to handle. But I wanted to make sure that you don't miss out on the fun. You can still grab the recording. All you need to do is register for the event now, even though it's already gone, and we will send you the recording. As a part of that offer, I provided details on how you can have a complimentary call with a Purple Patch team member so that you can thread the needle of life and training and make sure that you can successfully integrate your training into life while achieving the results that you want to do. 
Details are at the events page at purplepatchfitness.com or just follow the link in the show notes or this one here for you guys that are watching. And while you can't attend live, it's a part of history now, you can still get the recording and I think it's helpful. Finally, on Matt's Newsings, I want to tell you about a new book, Steve Magnus. The title of the back book is Do Hard Things, Why We Get Resilience Wrong and the Surprising Science of Real Toughness. I tell you, it's a super read. I was very lucky I got an advanced copy of this. And if you're a listener to this show, you're going to find a lot of Steve's insights and thoughts will really resonate with you. I encourage you to grab a coffee, a coffee, a copy, excuse me. It's released this week. And with that, I think it is time uh, to say goodbye to Matt's newsings because for the viewers at home, you see where we're going? Are you going to see Barry for this first time? Maybe? Mm, yep. Because yes, it is time for Word of the Week. We like the way he thinks, serious with the way. Let's open the book. It's time to take a peek. It's the Dictionary Word of the Week. Yes, it is Word of the Week, and this week, the Word of the Week is capacity. Why do I choose capacity this week? Well, I want to address a misconception for folks who are seeking to integrate performance training and good habits into your life. You see, one of the common mistakes that I see people make is the mistake of believing that adhering to good habits of sleep, consistent exercise or training, even positive habits around eating, means that you have to, quote, do more. I need to find time, as though you're adding something extra into your life. I think this is the wrong mindset. Life is stressful. It's full of demand. You, all of us, are going to face challenge. You're going to be met by unpredictable roadblocks, times where it all just feels too much, and the truth is that what's really challenging for Robert over there is really different than what might be stressful for Jill. But the key is that we all face high demand and challenge. The quest, and it is your quest, our quest, the quest is to build our capacity to absorb and navigate these times of challenge. We want to make sure that you don't crack when the going gets tough. It's not about running away from challenge and hiding because it will get tough. The key is that you need to have capacity to thrive through those times of stress. In fact, sometimes you need to thrive because of the times of stress. And so you, to do that, need capacity. And successfully finding your performance recipe is going to provide you the scope to actually do more, adapt more, be more effective. And it's logical because it's true. So the next time you think, oh, I don't have time, realize that that's a myth. I work with the very busiest people in the world, and most of them realize that they need to ensure that they integrate their performance recipe into their life so that they can perform sustainably. And it's not easy, but it begins with a commitment. And from that commitment, you build habits, and from those habits, you build capacity for your health, for your life, and for your sport. And that's our word of the week. Okay, now a quick commercial. 
We need to actually say this. We need to tip our hat. Yes, it's Inside Tracker. You can leverage the toolbox of recommendations and insights around your health, longevity, and performance to ensure that you get the biggest bang for your buck in performance. Don't just work hard. Make sure that you place your focus on the things that are going to help you leverage and yield adaptation and gains. All you need to do is head to insidetracker.com slash purplepatch and use the code purplepatchpro20 and you have unlocked the gift of performance. But now as we head back to the show, I get to welcome Jan Sibison. This week, it's all about swimming. We leverage the 35 years of experience and for the first time I get to say on video, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for the meat and potatoes. All right, guys, it is the meat and potatoes, and we welcome back Jan Sibison, part two of my conversation. Jan, the founder of Sailfish, also the fastest swimmer ever at the Hawaii Ironman World Championships. Jan, welcome once again. Thanks so much for coming back on the show. Thanks so much, Matt. Looking forward to, the, to round two. Round two. In the last episode, we dug into your, your life and journey, had a fabulous discussion on the journey of Sailfish around performance, mindset, perspective, navigating failure, relationship with stress, really insightful. And for you guys that are listening today, I uh, recommend that if you hadn't, haven't listened to that episode one, go back because it provides so much of the grounding for today's episode. But if you, uh, if you did and you carry on and you don't pause and come back to this show later, you can, we can all hold hands together and get going because today we are going to head into a more specific subject and one that you have almost four decades of experience in swimming. And uh, you have offered to get onto the hot seat today and provide some of your perspective and insights into open water swimming. And so, guys, we are going to dig into Jan's brain. He's got a great experience through elite pool swimming and of course open water swimming we can label you the fastest ironman swimmer ever and um and so if you are ready fasten your seatbelt, captain are you uh, are you ready to spill the beans <laughs> <laughs> absolutely go ahead i'm very interested to see whether we're going to get into some coaching debate and arguments or we'll agree on everything but we shall see either way it's going to be a fruitful discussion so uh so good stuff so as we talked about in the first episode you grew up a pool swimmer i also learned that it included very high level ski racing and windsurfing uh, and all sorts of other sports mountain biking but your your main sport growing up was pool swimming you went up to the finalist olympic trials you competed on the national team and what i'd love to start you and i grew up in the same generation I want you to give the folks listening a little bit of insight into how your swim training was right when you're at the height of pool swimming. What was your, what did your swim training look like? How many hours, how many meters a week? Give me a, some, some color on your swim training at that time. Well, that was a long time ago, first of all, <laughs> some, but, uh, Maybe to put things a bit in perspective, um, uh, I, I actually did the math, uh, not, not recently, but this must, must, must have been like 10 years ago or so. And I added up, uh, because I always had a training, uh, um, 
I, I kept file on my on my swim trainings, and mm -hmm. uh, I added up all the kilometers I swam in my life, and uh, it ended up being around fifty thousand kilometers. So that's that's uh, when you take the equator, it's actually more than once around the entire world. Uh, so I've been in the water a little bit. Um, but now to break it down on a, on a more uh, level that you can grasp, um, a, a typical, so I swam, I was, I was a freestyle, long distance freestyle swimmer. So that means 400 and, and 1500 free uh, in, in the uh, long distance, in the, in the long course meters pool. Um, and, and an average week would be 50 to 60 kilometers of swimming. Uh, high volume week would be 70, 80. Um, I did have a week with 100 kilometers in the pool, mm -hmm. uh, but that was like one week and then, uh, you know, it wasn't really sustainable. Um, <clears throat> but uh, you would swim, uh, let's say, 12 to 13 practices a week. And usually with either Sunday, yeah, Sunday would be off or, uh, or only one easy practice on Sunday. So, so that would be, that would be the training as, as a swimmer, plus, uh, some dry land training uh, on top of it. And, uh, yeah. And, and of those sessions, you had 13 sessions a week. How, how many, uh, this is a leading question. I'm going to work and lead on for this, but how many of the 12 or 13 sessions were specifically focused on technique? You're obviously always thinking about your technique, but there were many sessions that were really focused on technique. Um, as a matter of fact, very, very few. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think that, uh, you know, when you, when in swimming, it's, you know, obviously you go from level to level. So you started as a junior and then you make it to like a junior team and then you get to a bigger team and so on and so forth. Um, but it's kind of like, maybe it's a natural selection process, but it's kind of like expected from you. If you, once you compete at a national level, that your technique is in good shape. However, um, you know, we would go into the, 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 like into the swimming and through the channel where you, where you would swim on, uh, the flume, the, the flume, that's what you call it. Okay. And, and they, they would do very, um, very specific uh, technique analysis. And, and those would be like the really like the tiny little pieces. Um, and that's something in, in, as, a, as, a, as a swimmer only, you would, um, but also as a triathlete, uh, you know, we, we would also always train the technique part at the beginning of a practice. When you're still mm -hmm. fresh in your mind and you're fresh uh, and the body is still fresh, but in order to change something um, uh, in, in, the, in the technique, um, you know, it would, it, it would take forever because, you know, you're the, 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 the way you move, it's so, in, in, it's so much in your body. It's so, uh, it, it's so worked in it, you know, and it, I think it takes about three months, uh, three weeks or so to, to create a different habit. And if you just uh, change your, your, the position of your hand a little bit, and you have to think about it like every single time. So uh, the, the, it's actually probably harder for a really good swimmer to change technique than for somebody who doesn't swim very often because the, uh, the movement is not so ingrained in the brain. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, but, but pure technique sessions would happen in the beginning of the season. So let's say September, October, November uh, for, the, for the swim part. And then you would only look back uh, 
once, twice, three times a week and, um, and, and look back at, at your technique. However, that was the 90s. I know that things have changed um, quite a bit. And also what you, know, what you probably remember, Matt, is in the 90s, it was a lot about more is better and yeah. harder is better. And um, people and coaches have, have come away from that for, for the right reasons. Uh, because, because even I realized um, after my swimming career that you know, I was probably on very, very few occasions, I was, I was really rested. You know, I would, I would, and there were so many occasions where I would go into swim meets, into races where I was just tired, where I already got up on the block. And that is something I think that more modern training philosophy has changed. And that's when also the, the technique part um, has become more important, the, the value of working a bit more on technique um, has become more important. And yeah, it, it always, you know, you, you always, as you know, we have to put things into perspective. You know, where does the athlete come from? Where does he want to be? How much emphasis on this and this and this? Uh, do you want to be in Kona? Do you just want to uh, finish your first 70.3 or so? It's, it's always a, a very individual question. But, um, it, uh, but the technique part is, is a part that, uh, that definitely shouldn't be underestimated. It's funny, I, I, I always reflect on my own swimming career and realize how much performance I left. Now, I was a slow learner, and I think I did the same thing, if not worse, in triathlon. I drove myself into the ground with, with the help of some pretty poor coaching. But um, in swimming, I always reflect I was a part of a, a high-volume program, if you want to call it that, and it was every day was threshold. And uh, yeah, I, I think I was the walking embodiment of fit and fatigue, showing up to races, just being tired and, and certainly left performance on the track. Yeah. Um, and, um, and I think that's ingrained in us then that I went on and took up my own journey of, of triathlon and, uh, and took the same work ethic, the same drilling, despite really sh sort of should have known better. I had my background in clinical physiology. I'd already been coaching swimming and thought, hang on, this is kind of crazy. Uh, we need to be more rested. And, and yet I drove myself into the ground in triathlon. So I want that grounding now in the early 2000s when you were racing triathlons with the pursuit of a good overall performance as we talked about in uh, in the prior episode but at the same time you were hopeful of breaking the course record in Kona and um, so how was your how was your training G give some insight into that did you do the the same thing as me perhaps slightly smarter but the same thing as me of, of taking high work ethic and, and bigger volume into your overall triathlon and, and your swimming training to try and break that Kona course record in the early 2000s well, you know, it, 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 it was a double-edged sword uh, because you need a different training uh, for a 45-minute swim or 46-minute swim um, than for, for a 10-hour 10, 10 uh, triathlon. However, what I did realize uh, back then was that uh, quality work and, and overall fitness uh, was something that you could train so well in the pool and also the intensity uh, stuff. Um, you, you recover so much quicker from pool intensity than from running intensity. And, you know, I, I was never a great runner, but, you know, I, I would still run a, a 10K in a, in a 33.30 or um, in, in an Olympic distance race. And I could, I could ride uh, under an hour in an Olympic distance uh, race. And I hardly did any speed work in the cycling and in the running. 
Um, and why did I? Why didn't I do it? Because I, I knew if I did speed work on the running, I've been swimming all my life, I'd be injured uh, very quickly. And um, and I also knew that uh, the engine was there, and the engine could be trained in the water. So so uh, so that's why you know when I, when I look at my Olympic performance uh, racing or Olympic uh, uh, distance racing. Uh, that was, uh, you know, was was basically continuing some of the key elements of the of my swimming career, and then just adding uh, low intensity riding and low intensity running just to get used to those different movements uh, to the sport. Now for uh, for Ironman and then for trying to break a swim record, um, that's a that's a different ballgame. Then uh, I actually shifted the endurance work or let's say that just the, the 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 yeah endurance fitness uh to to swim to cycling and to running and i really only focused on this on the swim specific stuff uh like the threshold stuff that you talked about uh but i also didn't swim 12 or 13 times a week anymore i swam four to five times a week so you get in you swim you know i would swim four or five times four to five k That'll bring, that brings you to 20 to 25K. But bear in mind, you know, you've got all these lifetime kilometers and lifetime mileage that you really draw from uh, after you've done this for more than 10, 15 years. It doesn't go away overnight. And so you, you don't need to do that anymore. But you just have to do the specific stuff, you know, to keep to the stuff that, that, that hurts the most in training, but that keeps you that keeps you swimming at a certain pace for a long time. And then you just complement the whole thing with some riding and some running and some overall fitness core work, you name it. Yeah. And, and, and how about when you, when you came back in 2017, 18, and you're now 42, 43, when you finally broke the course record, was it similar an approach to that? Because that was quite a narrow focus. That was purely around... 45 to 46 minutes swim and enough to survive and, and hopefully have a fun day after it. You weren't, you weren't, you, you were completing, not competing for the rest of that event, uh, which was probably a lot of fun, by the way, you you were successful and you could go and have fun, but, um, but you're also 43. And so you still had all of those miles. You still had all of the, you know, navigating the, the, the world's worth of swimming, which is a massive, Base, if you want to call it that, that will never go away. At the same time, you're 43 years of age. You're not 27 anymore. So, did it look any different from that? Or was it really that and even more polarized? I'm really interested in that side of it. Uh, hugely different. Hugely different. Um, so, two things. Number one, um, I qualified uh, for the 2018 race. I qualified late 2017. So, that was a huge, huge asset uh, because basically I had one year to prepare. And I knew that I would need a lot of time in the pool. Um, and not worry about qualifying for Kona, let's say in June or July, and then trying to get the swim, my swim acts together uh, in two or three months' time. Um, so that was that was really really beneficial in in that in in, in that quest for the record that I had that uh, slot very early, basically eleven months out. Number two, and that 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 uh, pertains to the training part. Um, uh, the biggest difference, and that was actually striking uh, how big of a difference it was, was the recovery time. 
and it's it really it it really was completely different than than 20 years ago how long it took me even to recover from intensive swimming or intense sets in the pool uh, and, um, and and how often I could actually do my focus sets, right? So I have a I have a pretty much a set uh, program for 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 um, for an Ironman swim. Uh, it's a six seven week swim program that I've done uh, all every time that I raced Kona. Um, I'd, I'm not going to share it. Trust me. <laughs> no, but but it's 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 not that uh, sophisticated. But it usually you know there is a there is a set of 800s on Monday. There is a set of 400s on Tuesday, and there is some intensive work of 200s on Wednesday. There is uh, usually an, an easy day on Thursday, and then there is hundreds the short stuff on on Friday. And then you play on on Saturday and you take Sunday off. So that's in a you know in a nutshell uh, mm-hmm. As, mm-hmm. As, as specific as as it, as it gets. But uh, uh, and and back in the days, you know, I could do the eight hundreds well. I could do the four hundreds well, and then on I would go at it with at, uh, with high intensity on the two hundreds on Wednesday. No way, you know. I, <laughs> you know, I basically into an old man. <laughs> yeah, you become you become an old man and. Uh, and uh, it, it really, it really uh, changed uh, changed a lot. So I, I I focused a lot on physiotherapy, on getting massages uh, to, for recovery, on good sleep, on 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 food. I mean, back in the days, you know, I did, you know it was about carbohydrates, and and that's it. And as get as much as you can. Uh, but uh, that that changed obviously a, a lot as well. And you know, you look at all these little tiny things to get the performance together, um, and uh, when you when you get older, but it was it was really uh, the the biggest challenge was that was the recovery in in the quest for that for that record. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting. Well, we're going to come back to the record because I'm going to ask about focus and uh, and going through that experience a little bit. But I, I want to draw come back to technique a little bit and uh, want to start to draw some insights for you. The differences in preparing for open water versus pool. You grew up a pool swimmer like I did. You uh, you raced and had a lot of success in open water. It, it, I find that a lot of the triathlon media, if you want to call it that, it really promotes this huge focus on everyday triathletes having drill, drill, drill to get better, better for improvement. And a lot of those drills derive from pool swimming. So I'd love your perspective on what you see as the key elements of sort of swim readiness for triathlon swimmers. And, and I think we need to, what we need to do, if, if we can, is try and break this apart because there are, there are very different sort of spectrums of triathlon swimmers. So let's, let's break it apart and sort of uh, those that are maybe emerging from some form of background in youth swimming and uh and sort of our swimmers if you want to label it like that reasonable level swimmers folks that are swimming under 105 or 110 in an Ironman and that end of it and then we have adult onset swimmers where the swim is the clear weakness and they don't have that so if you sort of maybe can break this into two parts the differences for you between pool and open water swimming some of the things to think about in technique specifically for open water that's a big question i know but uh it's it's a big one, and but you're right. In you know you have to really dissect it and take it uh, take it apart. And who are you? Who are we talking to? Right. So so 
So let's start. Let's start with the, the folks who have a swimming background, uh, because I think uh, for them it's it's yeah naturally a little bit easier uh, because they don't have to focus so much on on the on technique work, right? And and again, you know, what, uh, the next question would be, you know, how often, uh, you know, what's the purpose? What's the what's that athlete's goal? Uh, and also, how much time do they have? You know, do they swim twice a week or do they swim four times a week? So, but for for a good swimmer, we all know it doesn't. You know, the swimming it it, ne it never gets lost. Uh, so it, once you have that basic uh, coordination and you have a you have a decent stroke, um, that that swimming never goes away. And you ba you have to have, you get a couple of sessions in and and you're 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 back on track. Uh, so <clears throat> so I think. For, for those who, who have that swimming background, uh, going into the water um, two to three times a week, obviously that's uh, consistency is absolute key. Uh, doing a little bit of technique work, but mostly focusing on really your swim and getting your swim uh, up to speed um, is, is the key to, uh, to a good swim performance. Now, speaking about open water, how to translate that into open water. I mean, we've, I think we've all seen it, how good pool swimmers sometimes completely fail in, in open water. And it's because, you know, it's, it's an unfamiliar uh, environment. You're not used to it. It's cold. You're wearing a wetsuit and so on and so forth. There's stressful situations in a race start, when, in a mass start. So, I, you know, the, the best way to address that is, is to familiarize yourself with all these situations and, and train it. And if you know that your, your open water swimming performance lacks or, or, or really is behind your pool swimming performance, then I would strongly recommend you swim in open water way more often than, than in the pool. Because that's the only way to uh, to to get better is to get used to it and to to train that. I'm, I was lucky, or I am lucky, because for some reason it came natural to me, and I think I'm, I swim in a very, very straight line when it comes to open water, and that's really what it comes down to. You have to, you know, the, the, the straighter line you swim, and the less you you have to to look up and 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 look for orientation, the more efficient and in, in consequently the more, the faster the swim is going to be. Um, mm -hmm. But 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 those are those are like the main the main points now. On, in contrary or in contrast, if you don't have a swimming background and, you know, there's still lots of stroke work and technique and drill work that uh, that needs to be done, um, you know, it, it only helps usually when you have somebody standing on, on the deck, on the pool deck. You can do all the drills in the world. You can do all the technique work in the world. But if you don't get immediate feedback from someone who's watching you, it's really hard to to improve it over time because mm -hmm. you know you're trying essentially what it's all about is to reduce res resistance in the water and th that's what 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 let's say seven out of ten triathletes what they can work on is is uh, reducing resistance and whether it's a foot sticking out or whether it's the head coming doing weird things and and you know we there's a lot of stuff happening that is not uh helping you in in uh, or that is distracting you from from swimming faster it's really reducing reducing the resistance um so for those i would i would recommend you know get your try to get a someone and it doesn't some it's nice if it's a coach but sometimes it even your 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 swimming buddy next to you who might be a better swimmer 
if he or she has a look at your at what you're doing to get to give you that feedback so to objective to to make it objective from what your subjective feeling is you feel something you think you're doing something but maybe in reality you're doing something completely different and to get that in line so that you then actually know oh i actually am doing this with my elbow or i'm doing this and this with my hand uh, uh, that's the key to to become a better swimmer if you're not a good swimmer um, translating that into the open water is of course even more difficult but uh, you got to start somewhere but it's probably in the pool yeah a, a lot of um a lot of triathletes and and this is becoming more prevalent uh, rather than less prevalent tend to be really anchored around that word specificity and actually choose to swim alone quite often uh, because they think I've got my special workout from my coach that I need to go and do and they they go and swim alone and they don't have any accountability they don't have any support they don't get to actually observe a little bit other swimmers that are better from them they don't get any feedback and quite often it can be challenging because you need to try and find a group environment that is is also um you're getting good feedback. It's it's not just about getting feedback. It's about getting objective, good feedback that can help you and, uh, and not confuse you. But generally, I think swimming with other people is firstly makes it a lot more fun. But there also is this amplified accountability. And um, and I think that's a part of it. I think that even for ad for adult onset swimmers, it's very easy for them to hate the sport, understandably, because that it, it's such a, a hurdle to actually improve. But one of the ways to improve the sport is to improve their love for the sport and the process is to go and do it with other people and make it part way social and then get feedback so that it's incremental, which I, which I think is, uh, is important. I fully, I fully agree. It's, uh, you know, next to, next to technique or having a, having a halfway decent technique, the number one key to success is swimming with somebody else that is this tiny little bit faster than you. And you always want to, you know, they're in the lane next to you and you just want to hang on and it works wonders. It, it goes such a long way. Um, and again, it's the social aspect. It's the fun aspect. And, and for those of you out there who, who, uh, you know, who, who are not so good swimmers and, and, uh, I get, I can tell you, you know, the, the first time or when, when you, when you pick up swimming on a more regular basis, and when you actually then start to feel the water and you feel the resistance of the water and resistance in that respect in a good way, where you feel the resistance when you pull through it, not by sticking out something, mm -hmm. but like to, to, when you grab to the water and you you feel it in your hand and you can push it back. It's, it's an amazing feeling. And, but, uh, it only happens with consistency and, you know, and getting familiarized and, and having fun. And it'll come, but but it's sometimes it's a longer process. I, I do want to come back with the the more established swimmers because I think you 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 also anchored on something that that is not really discussed too much, which is really important. Where if you grew up a swimmer to any level, a high school swimmer maybe, and you stopped, or maybe a collegiate swimmer, you're in a very controlled environment. And you've got lane lines either side, you've got a guiding line, uh, you've got dead flat water outside of other people in the lane and stuff. And what you've got is a whole other world that you need to upskill and, and have perspective 
around the environment, the challenging and the different terrain without actually great guidance. You don't have a line, a line at the bottom of the lake t traditionally. Unless, unless you go to Lake, lake Placid, right? Lake Placid is the only place. Um, but there's a whole element of being in the elements that is a, a wonderful opportunity, but you have to actually, the, you, you're not going to get there by doing two, three, four, five races a year and those be your only open water swimmers. The only way to close that delta is familiarity and skill acquisition, including, by the way, unless you're very lucky and your, your name is Sibison, uh, which is to learn how to swim in a straight line, and that is how to sight properly. And I'm always amazed at how relatively established swimmers sometimes just really even don't know the mechanics of sighting, where it can be integrated into the rhythm of your stroke. It doesn't disrupt. There isn't deceleration, where it's it, it's almost as equal, if not the same, as if you're if you're not sighting. So I think there's this whole world of opportunity that that maybe established uh, or people with a greater swim background take for granted and don't realize that's actually a big growth opportunity for improvements in, in many, many ways. So no, absolutely. And then you mentioned the, the, um, you know, incorporating in your, uh, the, the breathing part to the, or the sighting to the, to the front into your, into your stroke so that it doesn't uh, interrupt your stroke. It's something that you can train perfectly in the pool. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and I think what, what also some experienced swimmers don't realize is, you know, the, the more you look up, uh, on average, the more your feet and your legs go down and that'll, that'll have a big, big impact on your speed. So, you know, if you look up every third, every fourth, uh, stroke, you know, that'll have sooner or later, probably sooner than later, have a big impact on your speed versus, you know, I'm not saying you, you need to you need to uh, look up every 20th time or so, but probably like some, somewhere between six, eight or 10 strokes and then and then looking once to the front. Um, that's kind of a rhythm that that you can get into and uh, that won't uh, that won't slow you down over time. Uh, it's it's something that that I see all the time and you'll see it, especially on the second part of the swim course or on the last third. That's when the, the, the good swimmers or the good open water swimmers gain proportionally the most versus everybody else in the field. It's not in the beginning. It's not in the, it's not in the middle. It's towards the end when everybody else's stroke falls apart or they have looked up all the time and they just get tired. Um, and that's something that, that everybody can train very well beforehand and, uh, and avoid those kind of situations. No, I think it's good. I, I, I want to move on to uh, to another element that's a real challenge for the more adult onset swimmers, uh, although not exclusively them, I should point out. And, and you might actually be challenged to answer this. So let's see. I want to talk about fear and anxiety. And um, it, it is really common with the open water environment. It, it is a, we talked in the last episode about high stress. And for many, in fact, the majority of triathletes standing on the line, the swim star and the swim itself really represents a massive form of, of stressor, uh, both in terms of what's underneath the water, but also being in very close contact is really turbulent. It's the star of the race. And so many people step forward into that first race and, uh, or that first discipline of the race and just think, 
I just want this part to be over and then I can get on with my race. And that's really debilitating. It's performance debilitating. It's not very enjoyable. And so I'd love if you have any insights around how a fearful swimmer can navigate high stress. How can they actually get over that hurdle? That's that's a very difficult one, to be honest with you. And and um, to be to be hundred percent blunt, uh, I think it's to some degree it's also oftentimes the race organizers of uh, the large corporations. Let's put it that way that prohibit sometimes the swimmers or from warming up before the race. I mm-hmm. think it would be it would be so instrumental and so helpful. And I know sometimes it might be tough for the organizers to do that, but um, to almost make it mandatory for everybody to get in the water before the swim, before the swim start and, and be able to warm up at least five minutes, possibly 10 minutes. Um, just to familiarize yourself with the element, you know, oftentimes it's early in the morning, it's cold, it's windy, it's whatever. But once you've been in there already, and once you've, you've done that, you've kind of like shaken off that first level of, of anxiety. And, and that first, because if it all comes together, and you know, let's say, you know, you're standing there, you haven't really warmed up. Uh, and then the, the gun goes off and you jump in and then you've got everything at once. You've got cold water, you've got people around you. It might be dark. You don't know where you're going. Um, you know, I mean, I would be stressed, right? Uh, and uh, that's it's natural. So I think that's the, the one and only thing is, is really getting into the water before the swim start, being able to warm up. That would alleviate a lot of, a, a lot of the, the stress already. Um, and everybody else, if you're a beginner and if you haven't experienced that, you just have to, you know, give it those extra one or two minutes that the, the masses are gone and just jump in last. And, and, you know, you pass some people on the swim, but it's so much better and so much more enjoyable if you start slowly and then you ease your way into it. And then, uh, but, but don't worry about this minute or so that you lose. Um, you lose a lot more if you get a panic attack or, if you get pushed under the water or, or anything like that. Um, that's, that's the only advice I have, really. I, I, I absolutely agree. And uh, th- there is something, in fact, you know, I've, I've got a boy who's 10 and, uh, and he has performance anxiety, which is normal across all areas of life. And, and one of the sort of guiding rules over any sort of anything that creates anxiety and fear Casing point last week, he had to go and train in his swimming with the older kids. He's like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And it was very important that, that he had to navigate that exposure because if we said, oh, well, don't go, then that, that wall would get bigger for next time and those experiences. So going through and, and experiencing it, even if it's uncomfortable, is really important. So there's nothing like getting in and realizing Oh, just as Baxter did when he went to that. Oh, it's actually not quite as bad, and that's really inve- like that. That familiarity of "hang on, I'm going to be okay" is really important. Of course, that you can do that in a training element. That if you are really fearful, meet yourself where you're at and do short bouts of exposure with a buddy or a group of friends, not by yourself. And doing it in training is really valuable. And, and then my last point in there, because I can't help but be a little bit of a coach. The some of the people that have had the biggest anxiety in fear, when they have successfully done which you out what you outline there, 
have been the very people that have fallen in love with swimming the most. And that's uh, it, it, it's if you're really fearful and you have anxiety, it's impossible to appreciate that. But so many people, in fact, we've had a guest on on this show who's a very uh, very successful executive, Carmel Galvin. But she, I remember her joining the years that um, that you were chasing swim course records originally. She was it with us in Hawaii. She couldn't go to the beach because she couldn't face the water. You know, she was so fearful of water, couldn't swim, and now has gone through what we talk about, and now loves open water more than anyone I know. And it's uh, it's when you come out the other side, you really have the opportunity to uh, to to start to enjoy it, which I, I know is is maybe a carrot, but maybe a carrot that you could that, that people that are anxious can't see quite so much. But um, but it's great. Absolutely. It's great. Right. I, I want to shift to to come back to that forty six and a half minute or so uh, swim, and I want to focus focus on the word focus because. It's 46 minutes, which you are going at your maximal steady state in an environment which is, is open. It's dynamic. You know, if you're, if you're swimming the mile, as they, they call it, 1,500 meters in, in the pool, you know that you're doing laps in the pool. You, you're, you're, you're really breaking down a big problem into little problems. But now you are trying to break this swim course record and you're swimming in no man's land. So it's a really extended period of time, 45 minutes, where you are forced to maintain focus on the project and high output. And, and you don't have to be chasing a swim course record to have that demand in a race. And so how did you, I wonder whether you even thought about this before, but how did you maintain your attention for that 45 or 46 and a half minute swim course record. What were some of the tools that you used to keep on task? Uh, oh, trust me, I, I, I took that swim apart into every little detail you could possibly imagine. Uh, I had a lot of thinking time for 10 years between uh, 2004 <laughs> and uh, more than it was like 13, 14 years. Um, so, so when it comes to the Kona swim, I, I, I think I, I don't know every wave, but I don't, I do know, um, and not every turtle, but I do know quite a bit about it. Um, so first off, uh, you know, you're not, you're not in uncharted territory. Uh, you are, um, I, th I don't remember exactly, but I think there is, there is like 10 buoys along the way, um, something around. So I think the uh, you, uh, you know you just count the buoys and then you know every 150 meters or so there's a buoy, and so uh, then you pretty much if you don't you know and then that that helps you from. So I think the, the the biggest mistake you can make is is just swim and not really watch things and not pay attention and so on. So you want to be alert. It's just like on the on the bike when you have to watch your your nutrition and you got to make sure you get all the stuff in. And there is never like a dull moment. There's always something to think about. So it never gets boring. And 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 you you want to make sure that it doesn't get boring during that swim, whether it takes you 46 minutes or an hour and a half. So, uh, you know, I broke down, I broke the swim down into four segments because it's roughly four kilometers and, uh, and maybe, uh, broke down the first segment of the first thousand meters into also the, let's say the initial start and the first three, 400 meters. 
So, uh, uh, you know, obviously super, super important in my case is when the gun goes off that nobody really touches you, hits you, or that you don't swim against the surfboard. Super, super important because the surfboards yeah. are like right there and the kayakers and uh, it, it's the, probably one of the most critical um, uh, moments of the, of the race. So once once you know once I've achieved that and and I'm and I'm gone and I have like two meters on everybody else and there's still people on my feet, um, it's that first surge, and then uh, you know you swim not all out but but relatively hard on on the edge uh, for the first 50 100 meters or so, and this would be the first time when I would take a little peek back and see you know who is around me is there another train on the left or on the right and where is the first buoy or uh, you know maybe sometimes you're not focusing on the buoy number 1 but you go straight for buoy number 2 just for from the angle from the angle that that you uh, that you swim out so i think i was aiming for buoy like th buoy 3 or buoy 4 because i was relatively far to the left so re relatively far away from the pier um, and then I would say, uh, and again, we're talking about, we were talking about the fear and anxiety before, uh, I did a really, really proper warm up for this, for this race. So I got up at three o'clock at night and we had a little pool in the house that was like seven meters long. Like, uh, what is that? Like maybe eight, eight yards or so. And I actually got in my wetsuit, um, in my full, full suit. And I swam 200, 300 laps between 3 and 3.30 at night in the dark, in the complete darkness, and really got my body to a point where I was like fully hot, like super warmed up. Uh, and uh, and then but because that allows you to really go from the gun. You know, if, if your body realizes the gun goes off and then you, you know, the engine needs to be, it needs to be already at 100% or at, at, at 98% at least. Um and you build up less lactate. I mean, that's that's super super important. So maybe two hundred meters into the swim, luckily I realized that there was nobody on my feet anymore, and then I would immediately switch the pace to to go slower and to to go into a rhythm um, that that I was just familiar with from training uh, in terms of turnover. And I knew at a certain turnover, and this, this is something you only learn with experience. It's not something that that falls out of the sky. That I would swim at that pace and it, uh, at, at that turnover, and I knew it had to feel super, super, super easy that first thousand meters. And I did exactly that. And you just basically you keep it all together, you keep it streamlined. It was it was a very it, luckily it was a very calm day in the water, so there wasn't much, uh, and, and that was one of the major reasons that, it, that the record fell that day, that the, the outside factors also played in my favor. But yeah, so so continuing on, on the swim, you know, you count the buoys, you know where you are. Uh, and then subsequently, uh, you know, it's getting a bit harder on the second uh, half of the first uh, half. Um, then no mistakes around the 90 degree turns around the, the boats. Uh, don't swim into the boat. Uh, don't don't go too close. Don't go too far away. Don't get tangled up in any loose ropes that sometimes are around there. Yeah, and then you know you do that 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 second turn, and then you go back home towards the pier. And uh, so that's let's say the the third quarter, um, and then it gets hard, and you know it's getting hard, right? 
Uh, and then you wonder, is there current or is there no current? Uh, do you have the current in your favor or against you? I didn't wear a watch. So in all my other attempts before, I was wearing a watch and I had a really quick peek on the, on the watch, but I, but I felt that it didn't help me. And it really, you, know, you only stress about it uh because you know you don't know what the current is doing and if the current uh, you know you can be at the turnaround buoy at 20 minutes which i have been before and then you come home and you're it's 47 and you're like what the hell happened on the way back and it, it, it is the current in kona so um uh and trust me as the more the i mean you know this uh, but the more the pain comes the, the more you stay on focus right you you, st you are focused Uh, so you want to you want to get you want to get back home, and I think the last 800 meters or so it's really a question of willpower. It's it has nothing to mm -hmm. do anymore. There's not much more. Of, you know, you don't think about technique or anything. It's really just uh, making it there. And the waves are getting bigger because there's been a lot of boats right, driving around, and the sun has come up, and everything gets a bit messy. But this is when you really, or when I really went for the fight. And it's just mm -hmm. a, a fight. That's what it is. Um, yeah. And uh, well, then uh, then it happened, and it was uh, it was a great rest of the day. Even though, yeah, uh, you know, I hadn't really trained much for cycling and running, uh, but it's the, the the joyful feeling is just second to none. You, you you had a very brief moment to uh, to celebrate with uh, with the people there, and then you you had many hours. <laughs> Telling everyone, you don't know what I've done. <laughs> Not being able to celebrate with your friends and family for, for until the finish line. Hey, everyone, look! I promise me, this is what yeah. I know. Fantastic story, but it, it is like everything else. Outside the initial surge and setting it up, there's a, there's a lot of patience there in that swim as well. You're you're building and setting up and you know in parentheses easy into building into taking care of all of the logistics to prepare yourself for that final surge where ultimately the opportunity meets the occasion and and ultimately that's where you that's where you're faced to forced to look in the mirror and uh and find out what you're made of and that was it wasn't it absolutely it's uh it's really in the beginning it's holding back holding back holding back but again it, it was lucky that there was nobody else because if, as long as there's somebody else on your feet you know you don't you don't want to take chances and uh and you have to get uh or in my case i i knew i had to get rid of everyone and only then you can you know you can pace it the way you want to pace it And, and it has to do with age as well. I mean, you don't take lactate as well as at age 43 as as you take it at age 25. Uh, yeah, it uh, it's it's a whole different ball game. So you got to be. Re I had to be really really careful in order to to not to to overdo it in the beginning. Yeah. So I got I got a couple more questions. One is actually around uh, traffic. We, we alluded to this a, a little bit earlier around your training, and uh, and I think it was actually in the last episode, but. Um, a lot of triathletes undervalue the swim portion and uh and you'll hear a lot of uh well it makes up the smallest percentage of the race or the opportunity it's really tough to make gains in swimming um particularly for an adult onset swimmer but uh, you know i can't make any gains versus i can really improve my run where i've really struggled before and so i'm not going to swim or i'm going to minimize my swimming so as a swimmer yourself, as you come out of just the swim course record and you reflect on your triathlon training mm -hmm. more globally, 
because you did have a successful triathlon career, uh, particularly, you know, obviously outside of Hawaii where you were looking to qualify or looking to, to really be competitive. What's your perspective on that? What would you say to those that really like to focus just on bike and running? Well, I think you're, you're, you're losing out quite a bit. Uh, I think the, the, the positive uh, factors and aspects of swimming for your overall performance are, are uh, sometimes maybe not that uh, in your face, but they are there. And, um, uh, you know, as I, as I said earlier, it's, you, you can do so much in the pool or you can do so much um, in, in the swimming pool for the rest of your race. Number one, your specific fitness in, in swimming, if you know, if you put focus more focus on swimming, is going to be so much better. Um, so you're going to have a better swim. Number two, uh, especially when you're not only swimming or training um, freestyle, but you also alternate. And this is something that I realized. Um, if, if you swim a bit of IM, individual medley, uh, during training, the, the, it's so amazing for your overall conditioning and it helps so much uh, for, the, for the bike and also for the run. Um, I, I found it super, super beneficial. And lastly, you know, I also alluded to this earlier, you recover relatively quickly from intense uh, swimming workouts, like much quicker than from cycling and, or from running. So the engine, the heart, you know, the cardiovascular stuff, uh, you know, even if you, you, you can do a lot in the pool, um, may, if you are, let's say, a little bit injured for the run, you can compensate for that uh, in, in the water. So I would, I would never underestimate um, uh, and just look at it from a proportion. Okay, swimming is the least proportion, so I have to do the least for it. Uh, I, I wouldn't look at it this way. I think um, it, it, it is a great way to elevate your overall, uh, your overall uh, um, performance and also mm -hmm. most likely keep you away from injuries to a certain degree at least. Well, I'm glad I asked you that question because I couldn't agree more. So, uh, so I think it's good. I think it's a great lever that a lot of people miss out on on their overall performance, and uh, and and particularly people that are actually ironically frustrated with their run performance and frustrated with injury cycles. It's like actually leaning into swimming more. It's a great cross pollinator, building the engine, and then do enough for tissue resilience to stay healthy on the run, but maybe remove some of that intensity and, uh, and your overall performance can come up. So I, th I think it's a great opportunity. So I want to finish today your, your primary product, how you started Sailfish was around wetsuits. So we, we have to finish the show talking about wetsuits a little bit. And, uh, and, and I find a lot of folks have a tough time swimming in a wetsuit for lots of reasons. So I'd love your advice. So I've got a few quick hits yeah. And, uh, and I might be to contribute here. So the, the first one, common complaint, people getting into a wetsuit, brand agnostic, let's not worry about the brand right now, their shoulders getting tired. What are some of the advice on that? And they feel like, I swim and my shoulders get tired. Are there, what, what are some of the causes of that that you find? Um, eight out of 10 times, uh, wetsuit is not put on correctly. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it strikes me how often I see it, uh, that sometimes, you know, the, the wetsuit is just barely over your hand and there's, it's super stretched already around the shoulders or it's like halfway down the legs. And, uh, of course, then there's a lot of material missing up here and it's, it restricts you. 
and it can be the best and most expensive wetsuit in the world if you if it doesn't uh, if you don't put it up uh, on correctly then uh, you know it won't suit you and it, you'll get tired really quickly uh, I said eight out of ten times so the other two times uh, I, I hear that it's usually at the beginning of the season the first if I haven't been in a wetsuit in three four five months time and I get in the wetsuit for the first or the second time of the year you know it, it's different it's a, it's still a yeah. wetsuit uh, and so you have to train in it at least three four five times and then it'll become more natural so those are those are the two most common uh, things why that happens Okay, the second most common thing here, chafing, really bad chafing, particularly off, obviously around the neck, but also other places on the wetsuit. Is there, what's the antidote to, to that? Uh, yeah, again, uh, same thing, um, putting it on correctly. And there's uh, tons of lubricant products out there um, to, put, to apply to your skin. Um, I would recommend uh, not applying the lubricant uh, maybe just immediately before the swim, but especially like in a place like, okay, Kona is not a wetsuit swim now, but uh, let, let's say you do a, do a race. The first thing in the morning, you apply sunscreen and you apply the lubricant, like after you stand up, after you get up, because then you already have mm -hmm. a base layer kind of like on your skin. And then when you put on your wetsuit and you do it again, but that first base layer uh, in the morning, that already helps a lot because the skin can absorb it. That's what I would do. Yeah, it's great advice. It's really good. How about folks that struggle to get the wetsuit off? Uh, my advice is as soon as you get out of the water, you're allowed to take the wetsuit off um, to your hips. Um, do that immediately because as long as you have that little film of water between your skin or your body and the wetsuit, it comes off super easily. If you run uh, to a transition zone first that is half a mile away and all the water has gone out of your suit already, it's much, much harder to get that off, right? Um, and then the, the second part is if you take off the legs uh, and you see what happens there, uh, sometimes it's, it looks funny from the outside, um, yeah. the, the balancing acts and the ballerinas that you see sometimes, but uh you know, take it easy and, and just uh, sit down. It's uh, even, you know, if you, if you have to sit down on the grass and, and uh, pull, pull the suit over your, over your heels, because that's usually where the, the, the fact where you can't get it off, um, it'll, it's much less stress, stressful. Uh, so yeah. just take a moment, sit down, take it off, get back up again and off you go. Don't have to be a pro and just like slap it off like this but um yeah take it easy i'm going to give you my my last question of our, of our marathon of questioning is going to be a softball for you because you can you can let in for the newer triathletes or the non-triathletes listening and do this you, you put your wetsuit on you've done your warm-up you're lubed up you get it on and you're standing on the shore and you need to go for a pee what do you do well I guess you let it go. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, um, I, I give you one. I give you one secret. I've, uh, I've, I had to do this uh, so far only once in my life, and that was at Escape from Alcatraz. And everybody is standing on that boat, and uh, and you're standing there on the on the side, and you're about to jump in fifty some degrees cold water. And uh, suddenly you're like, wow, why is this so warm around your feet? And yeah, and then that makes you jump even faster. 
<laughs> Gives you a little bit of core body temperature, a uh, warm up there. Exactly. So that's great. Exactly. Jan, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for your time. You're so generous to, to go through two episodes with me and, uh, and I very much enjoyed it. I want to wish you the best of luck for Sailfish coming into the, the US and, uh, and it's, uh, it's a wonderful story. And, uh, and you're clearly a great leader, but, but I really appreciate it. And um, I guess everyone wants to know, are you ever going to go for 45 minutes or is that chapter of the book closed? That chapter is so closed. Um, <laughs> that, so 2018, uh, October 13, uh, that was when I broke the record. That was uh, the best day to retire. It, can't, it won't get any better. So it's, it was, uh, I made that decision that very, that very moment that day. Good man. Well, what a great way to uh, close the book. And congratulations once again. Thank you for uh, for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Um, I guess my last thing is where, where can people uh, find you? We'll put you in the show notes, of course, but where can people follow along with uh, with Sailfish? You just go to sailfish.com and uh, there you have it. Um, there is a US website. There is a global website um, if you're in the US. You'll be redirected there. You'll see what we have there and we'll keep on adding products as we go along. Perfect. Well, best of luck. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks so much, Matt. Really appreciate it too. Guys, thanks so much for joining and thank you for listening. I hope that you enjoyed the new format. You can never miss an episode by simply subscribing. Head to the Purple Patch channel of YouTube and you will find it there and you could subscribe. Of course, I'd like to ask you if you will subscribe. Also, share it with your friends. And it's really helpful if you leave a nice positive review in the comments. Now, any questions that you have, let me know. Feel free to add a comment and I will try my best to respond and support you on your performance journey. And in fact, as we commence this video podcast experience, if you have any feedback at all, as mentioned earlier in the show, we would love your help in helping us to improve. Simply email us at info at purplepatchfitness.com or leave it in the comments of the show at the Purple Patch page and we will get you dialed in. We'd love constructive feedback. We are in a growth mindset, as we like to call it. And so feel free to share with your friends. But as I said, let's build this together. Let's make it something special. It's really fun. We're really trying hard to make it a special experience and we want to welcome you into the Purple Patch community. With that, I hope you have a great week. Stay healthy, have fun, keep smiling, doing whatever you do. Take care.